1: It's time to do a podcast about Arsenal Football Club. You remember Arsenal Football Club? They play football. No, we'll remind you. This is the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. The on Twitter Yankee Gunner. We uh yeah we're back, so to speak. I mean we were never gone. The football's been gone. Football's coming back. I, there is some football back. None of this is making any sense. Let me tell you what's ca- happening. First of all, I'm back home and I'm happy to be there. Uh, here, I got all the guys lined up. We're gonna we're gonna do a podcast. I thought what we could do today is a mid-season review because we have played 21 of the 38 games, and that is, uh, by my math, the exact midpoint of the season. But to be clear, uh, I was never very good at math. So we can do a little of that, look ahead to the Wolves game. An interesting weekend behind us, and I think it's fair to say that teams like Manchester United and West Ham having to go 120 minutes in the cup is... Maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but maybe good for us. All things being considered, we have 17 games. I was listening to the Arscast. They said 17 cup finals, and Andrew pointed out that would be incredibly stressful. Yes, if it's 17 cup finals, uh, I am not going to survive it personally. So how about just 17 games of association football that we need to do well in? So let's look forward to that. Let's look back at the season so far, and let's do it with Tim. You can find him on Twitter. So, hello, Tim.
2: Hello there.
1: And Paul, you can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. I'll pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hey, hello, hello yeah uh just real quick tim do you i mean do you have any thoughts on on the weekend results the fa cups i mean first of all obviously like forest looking really good against Leicester. um and you know I, it, it is interesting because i i mentioned this in our whatsapp chat but uh spence just looks really good as a right back and sometimes you have to kind of admit your biases right like that's the kind of fullback i think of when i think of a fullback and not as much the tamiasu kind but like Tomiyasu has obviously been one of the players of our season so far and playing that role in a brilliant way, doing the the job that he's asked to do. But it's just funny how we can have biases around style, a style of player that we like to see, and Jed Spence certainly more the style of fullback, I would expect. But do you have any strong takes on how the results reflect on Arsenal, the the Forest result, or even the 120 minutes for our rivals?
3: Um, so the... Uh... Full disclosure, the only game I watched was the United Middlesbrough one, and that was that was between my daughter waking up. <laughs> and she very thoughtfully decided to wake up just as the penalties were starting. So um, instead of trying to get her back to sleep, she watched that with me. <laughs> mm, yeah, but um, but that was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> um, but I, I think I think what both of um, I I think both the well the games we've both referenced there, mm. United, Middlesbrough, and Forest, Leicester. What they show you is I think that the Championship is is a serious league, um, probably more serious than a lot of us realize. Now, Forest they've been in that league for a long, long time now. In fact, spent a little bit of time in League One as well since they were. Uh, since they were relegated. And for someone like me who grew up with Forrest as like quite a big team, okay. um, it was it was quite a shock kind of when they went down. But that was over 20 years ago now. But that what they've done is they've finally made quite a good managerial appointment in Steve Cooper, who did a very good job at Swansea. And I think that if Forrest don't end up in the Premier League soon enough, he will. Um, I I think he'll be a guy who will get looked at by Premier League clubs and also Forrest. They've had something a little bit similar to us, I think, in that after years and years of really piss poor recruitment, I mean, they've done it a lot worse than us Um, and lots of managerial changes. They've had two players come through basically in Jed Spence um, and Brennan Johnson and um, Brentford tried to... By Brennan Johnson quite seriously in January and, and usually if you're following the breadcrumbs of who good young up-and-coming talent is look at who Brentford are trying to buy yeah um, is what I would say and like Brennan Johnson and, and Jed Spence have just like breathed a little bit of new life um, into Forest, both like you know young players who've come through um and that and that can that can take you very far. I mean, Spurs, for example, they just happened, fluked upon really, having a world class striker coming out of their academy and that's that's taken them quite far, not to a trophy yet, but quite far yeah. for them, so good for them. <laughs> um and Borough as well. I mean, so Borough have got Chris Wilder in, um, and things have, have really switched, things have really turned for them. Um, since they got Chris Wilder in, and and they're they're like much much, um, they're 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 much much they're they're a Chris Wilder team basically. They've gone three five two, and he's possibly the best coach outside the Premier League. I mean, between him and Steve Cooper, essentially, I think you've got two of the best coaches outside of the Premier League. And I think what you're seeing is that. I don't, I don't know how much that gap has closed, but basically against those teams, particularly, I mean, United play Middlesbrough at home, but particularly when you go away from home, like when you, you drop a couple of players out or you rotate a little bit, like they can have you on their day. So maybe it puts our result against Forest in a little bit of perspective, perhaps. Um, yeah. I, I mean, so. can, I,
4: can I also add on that, Jim, sure. that like when I compared the two games, like, Forrest played against Leicester. They didn't really play. You know, they sat back against us. Mm. It was quite interesting to see they can actually play across yep. 90 minutes.
3: And it was um, a derby as well yeah, yeah. of sorts, and they played yeah. it a bit like a derby. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. And 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 that's broadly how they play in the championship, as, as you'd expect. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I think it shows you as well that there's um, – and, yeah, sorry, I've just seen the chat that, yes, Spence is on loan um, – at Nottingham Forest and and there's a lot of there's a lot of teams trying to buy him. But I think it shows you that there is good talent to be had um in the championship and maybe with like Brexit, for example, um there will be I, I think there'll almost certainly be more of a look towards towards the championship um to find particularly young talent at the moment. I, I think that would be my takeaway from certainly those two games this weekend.
1: Yeah, I think that's well said. It's funny because I see a lot of Arsenal fans talking about, oh, we should get Spence in. He, you know, he'd be a great backup for uh, Tomiyasu. And I'm like, I don't think that's where that player's career is headed. Personally, I don't know, Clive. I mean, I do want to get more into the Arsenal stuff and looking back at the season that's been so far and looking ahead. But I do think this weekend, you know, has some interesting echoes. I mean, I look at the Forest game and who we put out in that game, and it was a disappointing performance, but a very makeshift side and. Then you see them go and really thrash a Leicester team that was pretty strong and, and realize that maybe we can rethink that. And again, I'm not trying to put a gloss on, on losing to lower division opposition, but given the team we put out and given the way they looked against Leicester, maybe just gives a little perspective for that. Do you feel the same way?
2: Yeah, well, we, we played an 18-year-old kid in Central Midfield for his debut, didn't he? Mm. And um, we saw that what Forrest did yesterday was no accident they moved a very strong running team around and ran with them and did not look out place them in any way or form. Right? They played football, they played territory football, they played running football, they played passing football. They, they, Steve Cooper is somebody that's been on the England track and he is a very good coach. It was unfortunate, I think he came out of Swansea, did he? Come out of Swansea? I think so. And um, just lost his way a little bit, got a job almost immediately almost immediately, and um, he is well thought of, and um, he's turning them around, and that city, what I said earlier beforehand, my daughter goes to university there, and that city is alive, it is absolutely alive with football, and um, so yeah, I think it's uh, an interesting one. On the um, dispensing, he's come from Middlesbrough, and on loan and we sent a player to Middlesbrough, you know, so that'd be interesting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Normally that happens in life. You send somebody along to a club you want to buy a player from to make sure everything's nice and sweet. I think, um, yeah, I, I don't worry so much about that game, earlier. Really. I, I try to, um, I'm looking at where we are going forward, shall we say. I think we just got caught out on the day and could have been beaten by more, actually. Um, there wasn't really any regrets there. They caught us at the right time between some very big games that we played in uh, Man City and Liverpool, and they were—I think you called it the trap game. Did you call it? Yeah, I think it yeah, was that was the... the title
1: of the podcast episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
2: and and I think that was a really a really astute, and we just got we just got caught out on Spencer. A bit more on Spence, actually. I think that type of player is exactly what we need. I think. You, we want a wing-back, that makes sense, a physical mm-hmm. wing-back, a running wing-back. I think he got to offer different styles. It's not just a replacement for Tommy Asa. He's unique, you know, the way he plays that position. And I think you know, I love the way he does that. I think it it gives us something on the, you know, to mirror the left-hand side and balance us out there. So I love how he plays it. But there will be days when we need something else and we need to go down both sides, you know, your way Elliot, And I think mm-hmm. having a player that can do that and it's not a Cedric, he's somebody a bit taller, a bit more physical with pace that can dribble, stop, start, st- you know, beat you off the dribble. Also move some of our, our outside wing forwards, like Saka, for example, in a lane, and suddenly he becomes a different player. So having that option is is, is exactly what we need. I think um, if you said to me, before we get to our summer transfer stuff, <laughs> which I'm sure we're going to do shortly, right wing back is one on my list not a right-back Tomiyasu underplay. It's literally another style of play. I think that's really quite important for us next season.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, it is the challenge. I, I, I think it's something we're going to come on to in this episode even is that what are you trying to build? Are you trying to build a first 11 that when it is fit and together can challenge for the title, can challenge for the league, or are you trying to build a team that has quality through it <clears throat> even, you know, multiple options at, at specific positions, but maybe lack some of the elite top end talent. And I, you know, my perspective, I tend to lean towards the former that you build the best first team you can, and you find solutions behind them from the academy. Uh, you take a punt, you, you do some things that are clever to fill in around that. But, uh, you know, we'll come on to that in a bit. Uh, 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 Paul, before we sort of move on to the more very specific arsenal stuff, I mean, When you're chasing top four or a title or anything like that, you can find yourself in weird rooting positions. And the FA Cup is a classic example of me being like, oh, yeah, no, I want them to lose. No, well, actually, you know, if they go through more fixtures, no, 120 minutes, though, that's good. They're going to be tired for the next (laughs) fiction. Like, you find yourself being very, um, you know, sort of of two minds because you always want your rivals to lose. But there are times where going through in a domestic cup could wind up benefiting you later. So as you look at these results from the weekend, what United went through, what West Ham went through, obviously, you know, Spurs going through. Do you think that ultimately it, it's a good weekend, and that we just we have to sort of you know bite our lip and root for some things that we might find unpleasant because it's in our best interest?
4: Uh, well, the three cases are interesting and different. I think it's great United lost because uh, I think they have a they're going to continue to have a bit of an identity crisis. Uh, do we or don't we stick with Ronaldo Ronaldo up front? and how do we play and like this how do you just, not
1: do they even have a choice i mean i feel like that is the sort of damocles hanging
4: over them but like they yeah but you wanted yeah. to be so close like the, where everybody's saying oh they've really got to drop them but you can't like and that's that's kind of what that loss helps us maintain the they're they're almost bad enough where they almost have to drop ronaldo and that the with Ronaldo, I don't know how they do what Rangnick wants to do, which is a higher energy, higher intensity, younger, et cetera, et cetera. It just creates this massive uh, tension within their their setup and their organization that maybe they can't resolve till summer. Then you look at West Ham, glad they won. Want them nice and tired. Um, uh, just keep, you know, even if they win the FA Cup, it doesn't, you know, why not? Why not them? I'd be fine with that. Mm. Uh, A couple of the others, not so much. And then Spurs, (laughs) you know, that's the one I'm not so happy about because uh, sure, it keeps them in the competition but unfortunately, they're starting to get a bit of a buzz about them around their front three and uh, a little more confusion, indecision, self-doubt would have been a good thing. So I think you can parse the three results differently. I'll take the first two. The third one would have loved if Spurs screwed it up, but they're starting to write themselves a little bit of a narrative that one way or another they find a way to win. Mm. I'll
1: say this with Spurs. I want Spurs to have as many games as possible because their entire season is Kane and Son, right? Like, And, and Kane, we know, <clears throat> one wrong kick on the ankle and he's out for a while. Paul, like, the more they play and the more he has to play, you just raise the odds of him missing when it matters. Yeah, I think, and I I muted Paul instead of myself, which has resulted in me needing to cough on Mike and Paul not being able to be heard. Good to be back <laughs> in my natural habitat, uh, just killing it, knocking it out. Uh, Paul, you want to you want to finish up whatever thought you were saying that no one could hear? I,
4: apologize. Yeah, well, I think that's the right thought, but I just don't have a feeling that's what's going to happen. Um, like his ankles can't. Like I'm with you on the ankles, but his ankles can't be that bad because because City would know their shit, even if they had to hack into their computers at Spurs, like Liverpool did to the computers at City. They must know what they were trying to buy there for 150 million. And, and like, he's just annoyingly there when we don't want him to be at the tail end. I think, I think there's going to be a strong run in from Spurs. And I think it's three players make a big difference. Steve Bergwine is not going to be that guy who scored Uh, a couple of goals at the end of the game in extra time, Uh, again, it'll be Lucas Moura who's giving people a hard time. I think that's a very dangerous front three. And the rest of it just has to be boring, predictable, and solid. And I think that makes Spurs a very strong competitor in the run-in. So I did not enjoy that result. I would have preferred them um, going out one way or another and having a degree of self-doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, all right, so Tim... The real question now uh, where Arsenal is concerned is really basically like, are we the team that we last saw when all the players were available, which was, I think it's fair to say a pretty good and exciting team. Mm -hmm. It is so hard to evaluate who we are in the context of January because... It was cup ties, it was weird games, it was 10 men, it was no midfielders, it was you know the the Forest game we've covered at length, and then it was the City game, which we all sort of felt pretty encouraged about and was kind of taken from us in a way. So the whole thing hinges on is the team that we saw ourselves trending towards being uh, at the end of December, beginning of January, who we really are, and can we be that for 17 games? Now, we look paper-thin, but there is the part... I have to be intellectually consistent, if not uh, intellectually... Uh, intelligent if you can even that well that you know what that fits fits what I'm trying to say Um, (laughs) because I have always sort of maintained that what you really need is a good core of first 11 players for the most part and then you need to get a little lucky to achieve anything and if I look at Liverpool winning the title a couple seasons ago they had seven outfield players who made 34 appearances or more seven okay Virgil van Dijk played in 38 games Trent Alexander-Arnold played in 38 games Firmino played in 38 games I mean That's what you need. If you look at Leicester, they had eight outfield players who made 35 appearances or more. The reality is that unless you're like a city with a a galaxy of superstars, you're not going to go achieve big goals unless you get a little lucky keeping your most important players fit. Because unless you're city, odds are those backup players aren't going to get you where you need to go, right? I mean, there mm. is no replacement for Virgil van Dyke. There was no Jamie Vardy replacement on Lester, particularly. And so we know who we need to keep fit. We know we need the midfielder's fit. We know Lacazette's going to have to play. We know we're probably going to need Gabriel and White to play. Like, we know how that goes. So I'm curious. I mean, how do you react to the, the sort of panic, and understandable panic about how thin we are, as it relates to the fact that realistically, you know, we were always going to need... Our key players to be available for this run-in to, to get where we need to go.
3: Yeah, I, I think we're only thin at striker, really. I, I, I don't yeah. look at us as thin anywhere else. I'm not. I'm not really asked about anyone that left. Um, uh, you know, apart from Abamyang, I guess. Although I can see the reasons for that. I don't think it's a travesty of justice or anything. Um, and he wasn't setting, the, you know, pulling up trees. So um, it, it is the goal scorer question. The rest of the squad, I like. I completely agree with you. If we were in a situation where we had to rely on Kolasinac or or Callum Chambers, um, or, or even even maybe Ainsley Maitland Niles, although I, I do think he's got enough experience that he'd be able to slot in, you know, midfield or right back without disrupting without things being disrupted too much. But yeah, I mean, none of those players are going to. Get us where we want to go, really, and and mm-hmm. I agree that really what you want is a fairly tight core of players. Look at what Guardiola had at Barcelona. Actually, it's different for him now at City, but at Barca, if if you, I promise you, if you look two thousand eight to two thousand eleven at Barca, look at their unused subs for most games. I bet you, I bet you've never heard of the, quite a lot of them. Yeah, um, they they were a lot of them were waifs, strays, and kids.
1: They get a few off us. Um,
3: yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And and so but at the same time, the idea that um, you know, the porridge is going to be just right for 17 games is fanciful. It's not. Um and really that the team I think that's going to take that fourth place is probably going to be the one that deals with a little bit of adversity the best. I think that's the most likely. It could be that we go we go scot-free injury-wise for 17 games. We can put out maybe the same eleven um, and just keep it t- ticking over, and that that takes us over the line. But um, in lieu of that, it's going to be the team that that deals with that adversity um, the best. So you know, the, we we it it's all kind of very well saying, are we the team that was doing X, Y, and Z in December? But I think it was something um, Bertie Mee said, like uh, when he managed us to the double in the early seventies, and he in seventy one, and he said something like, in reality. A team is probably only at its best for about five or six league games total, even if you win the league. And so really what winning the league, for example, becomes about is what do you do in those other games where you're not at your best? Can you scrap out a 1-0 when you're not playing very well? So, you know, I I do think there is a big sense of can Arsenal under Arteta get those kind of results? I I think there are there are two kind of results I'd like to see more of. The scrapping out a one-nil, um, when perhaps it's not going that well, um, a bit like the Burnley game, and absolutely larruping the shit teams. Um mm-hmm. we don't, you know, we don't do enough of that. Like we don't do enough like three and four nils against the Norridges. Um bit actually to be fair, we did that over Christmas, didn't we? So um, you know, that that's one tick, I guess. But you know, can can we do the scrapping out the one nil? Um, because even Guardiola, right, as, as much as I think Guardiola has almost achieved his wet dream of playing without a striker, because um, if you remember when he joined City, he didn't really seem to want Aguero until Aguero changed his game up a little bit. Um, he still wanted Kane and Ronaldo this summer. And the reason he wanted Kane and Ronaldo was because he knew that there'd be games like the one they had against Southampton recently where it's one one one, they're frustrated and they just need someone who can smash the ball in the net with 10 minutes to go. So that that that's the part that interests me. If we're nil-nil at home with 10 minutes to go, have we got that player that can just smash the ball in the net, give us a 1-0 and get us out of there? Because usually, particularly at the end of the season, and if you observe Any of Arsenal's title winning seasons, Um, you know, you might remember the end of 2002, two games in a week at Highbury that were fucking horrible against Ipswich and West Ham. And it was nil-nil with 15 minutes to go in both of them. And in both of them, we just found a way. We didn't play well. Everyone remembers those teams are swaggering every week but they didn't play well, but they scrapped it out and got over the line. That's what you really need in March, April, May when mm-hmm. you're not at your best. And that's where my question is, can can Arsenal do that in the games where they're frustrated?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is it is interesting, right? Because intuitively you think the problem we're going to have is that United and Spurs have players that can get goals reliably and we don't. And then you look at it and like, we have what? three goals fewer than United and one less game played and seven goals more than Spurs and one more goal, uh, game played. And we're all pretty clustered up in expected goals. And like, we've all sort of had the same team all season. So the, you know, when we're 21, 20, 22 games into the season. So I don't think it's sort of a false metric at this point. Like we have managed to sort of find the goals. Now, granted, we've gotten them in clusters against some pretty bad opposition, but that's kind of how you get top four anyway, uh, as you sort of alluded to Tim. So I I think, Clive, that for me, I think the reason striker is, is such a talking point is that wasn't one where we were like, let's get some backup behind Lacazette, who's ahead of Enketio. We were looking at upgrading the striker position. And I certainly think that that would have been worth doing. Um, But like, I don't know that some backup to Tomiyasu or some fourth choice midfielder or some one B striker necessarily gets us there because if you know if things go to plan you're you're not really using them and in my view like I'm just as happy to let a Pepe or Martinelli have 20 minutes at striker in a game you're chasing as I am to let a guy we don't really like who we just signed come off the bench and try to win it for you so it, it is still about the first 11 to me there's no question that stre- strengthening striker is the mission in the summer and Probably two strikers, which is a daunting prospect. But like for the balance of this season, I do think it's it's pretty black and white to me. Stay fit and you've got a chance. Don't stay fit at certain key positions and you have no chance. That's how I view it.
2: Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. I think um it'd be interesting to see what we do as a as a squad, because we're cleaning house, right? So we know we're reducing our squad. If you look at the way Manchester United do it, maybe in a similar way to we used to do it have so many players different talents many they don't use I, mean, I saw Wan Mata come on the other day I forgot he was there right so he looks like somebody in a testimonial game right so they've got so many players and it wasn't so long ago that we couldn't name all our players in the Premier League squad so that type of wastage doesn't sit well with me right yep. so again I always look at I look at Man City right it's the only thing I can look at and um, and what they have, there's a couple of great tweets that they're comparing Man-, Man City squad and, which I could find it, um, Liverpool squad and Chelsea squad and Man City squad is is way smaller, but the quality within that squad is almost you know really comparable. You know they're they're four centre backs. You know Aki Stones, um, what's it, what's his name now? Aki Stones, Laporte and Diaz is it? Yes. Diaz, mm-hmm. yeah. So. You know, Aki does a bit of both on the left-back side, and that's like, that's a lot of quality. Aki's 47 million, and he's their fourth centre-back and second or third left-back. That's what we see with Nuno and, and Chirantini. That's where we're heading. That's the sort of competition that we need to have. It's true competition. It's real and there isn't a massive drop off. What we have with Tom Yasu and Cedric is not one that keeps us, makes us sleep well, right? So I think this is where we're heading. I think we're heading to a more of a, a smaller squad with quality that's underpinned by very good youth players. We got that box ticked, you know, and that's what we need to continue. So I think this is where we're heading next season. I, I'm so interested to see how we build. Do you want to go into a strike a bit, Elliot? Because I'm doing a bit of thinking about this, actually. Why not? Yeah. I don't yeah. know if it's you guys are out for it. I don't know if you guys are up for it, right? So there's six or seven types of forwards, right? So you have a target man forward, a wing forward, an outside wing forward, a false nine, an all-round centre forward, a playmaking forward, and a poacher, right? So, so just to put some context around that, right? So target man forward, someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Target Matt or Giroud, something like that. A wing forward, Martinelli, inside wing forward. Outside wing forward, you could say Pepe and Saka. Right, false nine, we got Lacazette. A classic centre forward, all-round centre forward, the one we tried to buy in Vlaovic, right? Does all the jobs, right? So a playmaking nine now would be somebody like Izak, who's a nine, but he he can create and playmake and dribble and carry. Right, so And a poacher forward is someone like Eddie. Right? So if you think about what we're losing, we're losing Eddie. You could probably say that Abamyang may have been a playmaking nine. So we're losing Abamyang. We've lost him. We're losing our false nine option in, in Lacazette. So what do we have? We have an outside wing forward in Saka. where we're using at the moment. And we have a wing forward in, in Gabriel Martinelli. And we have potentially a Balogun coming back to the club, who I think could be reshaped as a false nine. I think he's got the physicality to replace like Lacazette. So then it comes back to what do we need to add. And then that's where this is where the debate comes in. And by the way, I'm I've got no I, I know what I think we need ish, but I'm not like gonna, you know, hold myself right down in blood. I think we need a a another wing forward and I want to say playmaking nine. But I then get Debate between a target man nine, right? So, I think that this is where we are heading, and I think it's, I think we need two. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna assume we're gonna be in, in Europe. The reason why I'm saying we may even need three, depending what happens to Pepe, um, because I, I think we can't afford to have Martelli and Saka rotating. They don't rotate basically. We can't afford to have them basically playing every single game. And I think that's the real key issue for us. And I think we need to make sure we add a wing forward in there to make sure they can rotate. I don't see Smith-Rowe as a wing forward. I see him as almost like an attacking midfielder. So I think this is is the debate we're going to have going forward in the summer. What type of forward do we want to add into that group versus who we're going to lose? And what type of forward do we think... um, Arteta will go for, right? And I think that's a really unknown question, but I wanted to put those categories down because I think it helps people think it through. I have yeah. a strong view, but I think it just makes it really simple.
1: It is it is tough in a way because I think if you have quality enough players, the idea that you're going to have backup players that you want to use is sort of a, a fallacy, a fantasy in a way because, you know, there isn't a player that Liverpool can bring on to replace Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane or Trent Alexander-Arnold or Virgil van dyke that's in that class. There isn't a player that Manchester City can even bring in that's in De Bruyne's class or probably Ruben Diaz's class even and Cancelo's class. There's there's a few players that you're going to have in any team that if they're not playing, you're weaker. And it's not because you didn't strengthen properly. It's because there is no real scenario where you've got a player who's one of the best in the league and another player who's one of the best in the league who's just contented to sit behind him and not play maybe if they're on 300 a week at city you know you you can find contentment that way but not at most clubs and that's where you wind up with players throwing a stop, getting frozen out and and moving so i think building depth is one of those things that everybody talks about but is really hard to do and that really trying to build the absolute most elite, talented first 11 you can. And that those, you know, maybe it's the players that were in your first 11 that are still under contract that become backups because they've been improved upon. Now, we can't do that because our two strikers that we currently have at the club are both out of contract and leaving. But I don't know, Paul. I mean, we've got 17 games. We have a first 11 that I think... We know it's not perfect, but it certainly has run United and Spurs close to this point, twenty-one games through, ahead of, you know, ahead of one behind the other. However, you want to look at it, and I think should run them close the rest of the way, barring a major absence. Um, I, I think it would be unforgivable if we f- fell away from them. So, you know, how do you balance the need to elevate your first eleven and, and, and recognize that that's what ultimately carries you to your goals? but recognizing also that you don't want to have a bunch of junk behind them that you don't want to use even if you had to.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a, a very difficult balance. I mean, even the City example you mentioned about keeping them happy with 300k, I mean, that hasn't kept them happy. No. Uh, Bernardo <laughs> Silva tried to leave. Ferran Torres did leave. Uh, Raheem Sterling hasn't been happy. Uh, Leroy you know,
1: Sané, I that was a maybe. Cancelo's,
4: a I mean, can you imagine Cancelo isn't happy, but He's not he wasn't happy, but it's all okay now. And I would say City just about manage it, not just by paying them a lot of money, but by winning st- like yeah. like they're almost losing them and they're paying them humongous money and they're promising them a trophy every year. Um but then City's a bit extreme and they're trying to win the Champions League and the league. So they kind of need the best part of two top class teams. Uh, at least in his his view of the world, Liverpool won the league and the Champions League in different years, and there was no way they were gonna. You would say win both in the in the same year potentially, um, and Liverpool does it has to and does do it with a much smaller squad. But the one thing I'd say about Liverpool, when you say there's no replacing the one the one thing they do have is they have uh, Jota. Mm-hmm. Uh, who can play across three positions? And for me, no, it's that fourth player. It's like you, you can't. Ha- what you don't, what you can't do, is have a player for each position. But you can have that. Like if we could get Diogo Jota's sister, or mother, uh, or cousin, that for me is like. If you say one player to put into our lineup, i take that guy because he can play three positions, four positions, depending on... Yeah, you're
1: basically saying across that front line, you need an extra really high quality player that can come in at one of those three positions.
4: Yeah. and Yeah, I, I buy that. Yeah, and gives you a bit of flexibility, no drop off. But, and then back to the, what do we do in this run-in or or, or what determines whether we've got enough or not? I think Tim uh, framed it brilliantly. The one thing I would say where I'm very concerned about whether we have an, another player for him or not um, is Tommy Yasu, uh, and we don't have another player for him. And it's not necessarily just because of his position and whether Cedric's as good at being a fullback. It's because our kind of our whole right-sided play, offensive and defensively. And to Tim's point, Bertie May saying... You know, it, it's what do you do in all of those uh, week-to-week games? Not the not when you're flying high, but when you're getting results. And a lot of that is not conceding. And Tommy Asu is a huge part of not just fullback, but like the whole right side and the defense is rock solid when he's there. Um, and then from an attack standpoint, he's a big piece of how we build up. And even with Ben White, who I rate, on the ball i mean we just weren't the same when we played ben white at full back on the right uh, it wasn't because holding isn't as good as ben white it's because ben white can't give us what tomiyasu does with his two-footedness like we don't think of him as, as an attacking player but we build our attacks uh, with him as a key portion so for me the run in is about keeping everybody fit that we've said all that it's about the attack and our options it's about our bench but we can't do anything about that now but it is right what happens at 70 minutes what happens when somebody needs a rest what kind of a bench what kind of options can we pull in nicholas pepe can we use martinelli through the center after 70 minutes if if lacca's starting to flag during the season or during the game those are the three things for me can we keep lacazette fit uh, can Eddie contribute when he comes on? So that's the attack, the, r- the right fullback, and what kind of a bench can we string together from what's left, basically?
1: Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, if you put the first 11 on paper, and then you say, I mean, ideally you put them on a pitch because <clears throat> that's where they need to play. But like, and then you look at the bench and you say, I've got Smith Rowe, Nicola Pepe, Sammy Laconga, Nuno Tavares, Rob Holding, <clears throat> right back. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, and, and a goalkeeper like Smith Rowe, and Pepe are good options off the bench to boost the attack. Samuel laconga is a midfielder that while he may not totally be ready to start every Premier League game, if he's paired with one of Shaq or a party, I trust him to do a job. You've got a center back who I think from a third center back level you know, uh, evaluation. I think he, he fits roughly what you'd expect from the, a third choice center back in the Premier League, maybe just about. And Nuno Tavares is an exciting young player who adds, you know, pace and, and a bit of chaos, and can probably play honestly as cover for either fullback. Like those aren't bad options. It's I understand really why the focus on striker, but I do think that. And in the summer, there's going to need to be additions midfield and striker. We know exactly where it is, but for 17 more games, I can look at it and say it's sufficient. So, I want to look back at what's happened, but. Before I do that, I want to look ahead to an important date coming up, and that is uh, February 14th. Not a fixture date per se, but uh, for those of you who care to celebrate, it is Valentine's Day. Now, uh, Tim has previously regaled us with his system for how he ducks and dodges and avoids Valentine's Day altogether, the romantic that he is, uh, by celebrating, saying he will celebrate different Valentine's Days at different times and then not doing it. I'm kidding. We know Tim does the full full thing. But if you want to uh, treat someone to a special Valentine's Day, you know how to do it best by grooming yourself and making yourself the present. Make yourself the gift. And the way you make yourself the gift is with Manscaped's Perfect Performance Package 4.0. The performance package 4.0 includes the signature lawnmower 4.0, some of their best liquid products like toners, um, uh uh deodorant, and the uh what's the other one? Uh cologne. That's it. That's the thing. The scent. So you got all that. The the lawnmower 4.0, if you don't know by now, come on. Let me educate you on this thing. It is. The best trimming tool I have ever used. It is uh, a super long battery life and wet dry, so you can use it in the shower. It has a really bright light on it so you can see what you're doing, which let me tell you, when you're grooming certain areas, that is absolutely important. It has guards so you can do different lengths, um, probably not in your privates, but you know other places. Uh, it has the induction charging so you can just set it in its case Um and it's little cradle, and it charges, and even a button lock, so if you travel with it, it doesn't just start grooming all the things in your suitcase. So it is the best uh, I have ever used. You absolutely get it. Get the performance package, and you will be the gift this Valentine's Day. Go to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with promo code ARSENALVISION. Manscaped.com, promo code ARSENALVISION, 20% off and free shipping. Now, that is important, but equally important is business, and I can tell you. Having been through a fairly rough period uh, of business over the last couple of weeks, you've probably heard. Uh, you know, it is one of those things that you realize like you want the best people. And when you don't have the best people, you suffer. And the best way to have the best people is with Indeed. So, whether your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more of the best faster. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. And again, I really think we should institute that in the transfer window. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help do it all. Okay? Indeed is a hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. With instant match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed. That match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements. Okay, so I mean, this this really is the way to find good talent. I, I think it is a a program and an approach that we should bring into football, but no one's listening to me. Start hiring right now with a seventy-five dollars sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire. Offered valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash wire to claim your $75 job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Clive, is that enough for that?
2: Undeniably.
1: <laughs> Undeniably. Indubitably. Okay. So, um, Clive, I'll start with you on this. I, I want to look back at the season so far, and we'll start with an easy one. To date, and, and here, it, this is not going to be easy, guys, because here are the rules. You're going to have to pick one that hasn't been picked. Okay, so when someone gives an answer, you have to pick. So far, season to date, who's your player of the season for Arsenal this season?
2: Ooh. Um, my player of the season, I'm going to go with Kaio Saka. But I was tempted to go Tommy Yasu, actually, because I think it's been transformational.
1: Yeah, you're, you're cheating.
2: Uh, sorry. You pick Saka.
1: Explain your answer. <laughs> I'm going
2: to pick Saka because I just think um, in a year when – we have seen senior players disappear off the face of the earth. He has carried the burden of his team offensively on build-up, on retention in those upper areas, on one-on-ones, on shooting, assists, crossing, progressive passes. I just see a player at 20 years of age that basically looks like our best forward on on many occasions. But more so when I'm worried and I look up and I look at the... Th- the grass and i look at the tv and i think who's gonna do it now Uh, and it's always him you know he's the one that breaks it open you know that breaks open the can as such And and i just think for your one of your youngest players to have that level of responsibility and then execute more often than not and this is not something he's done recently i just think it's incredible so i say that and mm. knowing that not every game he's been brilliant, but I, but he still well, does that stuff. Do yeah, I mean?
1: You know what's interesting, Clive? Because I, I was thinking this as you were talking is, I think if you look at the games where you say, we weren't great on the day, they tend to be the games where Saka wasn't great on the day. And yeah. I think that that makes your point, which is that, we are so reliant on him playing well for us to play well, and that he has played well enough to get us where we are so far, and we'll need to play well again the rest of the season to get us where we yeah. want to go. Because the game's where we look flat, he looks flat. And I think he's the player who needed this rest the most as well. And it is remarkable to consider the season he's having, given the summer he had as well, emotionally, yeah. physically. I think that speaks volumes to his character.
2: Can I just add one little bit to yeah, this? And it's something that maybe I was all bringing to their discussion as well. I think it's not who's been a player of the season. I think the word influence comes into this. You can have some really, really good players that don't influence the team in a sizable way. I think his influence has been sizable. And I think the other players I could have chosen it's the influence they have on the team, how, how we play, whether it be stability, whether it be how we feel in the stands, that influence is almost greater than abilities, if that makes sense. So um, that's how I view it anyway.
1: Makes sense to me. Okay. Uh, Tim, who is your player of the season? Not Bukayo Saka. <laughs>
3: um, I've got a feeling Paul will want to take Tommy Assey, so I'm going to leave that one. Um, and I'll say Aaron Ramsdale. Um, mm-hmm. Again, another player who's been pretty transformational. I think um, you, you know what my view of Leno always is was that mm-hmm. he's a good like seven out of ten goalkeeper um, who who's done like done the job we probably needed from that position at the, at the time that we needed it when we were in a big transition but Ramsdale is the the goalkeeper to take this team forward and not just what he's added in terms of his personality because it's quite a quiet back four and I, I do think you do need at least one person back there who's um, who's a bit more of an extrovert but what he's added with uh, the way he plays the ball as well he's just he's just given the team another dimension um and, and I guess you have to take it in the context of the fact that none of us really wanted him um or at least were you know raised some eyebrows um about the pursuit of this player at this price but um, no fair fucks it's, it's been a great signing and I think he's really really added something to the team and, and something else that's important as well is is how the fans feel about the team and that connection I do think that's been really important this season and more just because it feels nice I do think it it can make the difference for a team on the pitch and mm. I think he's um, even just by virtue of being quite close to the supporters all the time because of his position um, I think he's he's really been a conduit for that as well.
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting, Tim, is one of the reasons I was not focused on Keeper in the past is I regarded Keeper as sort of a neutral position in the sense that what I wanted from the Keeper was don't lose us the game. Don't be the reason we drop points. As long as you make the saves you're supposed to make, good enough. It's on the rest of the team to go win the game, go get the points. And we had Keepers like Amunia and Ospina and things like that who cost us games. And so with Leno, I didn't have too much worry because by and large, I think Leno... I mean, hell, Leno did keep us in games with some great saves. But I think what I've noticed is that football is changing, and at the best clubs, the keepers are part of the way the team plays beyond just mm-hmm. keeping the ball out of the net. And Ramsdale has really added that. And, and so I think it's opened my eyes to how a keeper can be important to the way you play, you know, not just mm-hmm. don't lose it for us.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, Paul, that leaves, I, I presume, Tomi to you, but it's it's all, all to play for other than uh, Ramsdale and Saka.
4: No, actually, I'm going to leave Tommy Yasu to you. No, uh, surprising a few, but not surprising anybody with my next selection, Granite Chaka. No, I could. Uh, um,
1: <laughs> I was like, I was already thinking about our Twitter mentions and the reviews <laughs> on, on on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Thank you, thank you for being oh, facetious. Yeah. Okay, go for it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Clive's still groaning. I was reaching for the mute. Thing, <laughs> 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 Look, I mean,
1: it, he is it, a player of the season in a sense, in, yeah. in terms of impact, both good and bad. Yeah, go go ahead. Please, please pick someone.
4: Um, right, I'm totally under the sway of recency bias, and I'm going to go with Martinelli. I was uh, going to pick him. Oh. So uh, good.
1: No, that's good. Go for it, yeah.
4: Because I think he's transformational of our season when it actually got really good um and basically once he started to start for us uh, we couldn't really drop him and how many of us would want to see can imagine a scenario where we're okay with smith rowe not starting i mean we're not okay with it but you don't want martinelli to start or to not start. You're okay
1: so. with Martinelli starting over him. Let's put it that way.
4: Yeah. There's probably a phrasing that doesn't upset people that don't need to be upset over that. <laughs> we all love Smith Rowe. We want him on the pitch, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you don't want to drop Martinelli. What's more, how did we move? Like, I know there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears over Aubameyang leaving, but nobody wanted him as a starter. Um, because Martinelli does that job better as a wide forward uh, than Aubameyang does. Not to poo-poo Aubameyang's career or his abilities or his ability to finish, but actually that role that Arteta tried to carve out for Aubameyang time and time again, Martinelli is growing into it because he can do all the other parts of the game We know he's a finisher. We know he's a shot monster. He's not necessarily at Aubameyang's level of finishing yet. But shit, what is he now? 20. Every time I check these guys, they're no longer 17. They're like 25. (laughs) What is he, 22? Time time is
1: progressing, as it turns out.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's probably 22, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And he's just hitting that. Like, you asked me if we make top four, how did we do it? Well, Martinelli... He, he is
1: still just 20, as it turns out. <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs> A couple more years. Um,
1: Which is amazing, by the way. Yeah.
4: yeah, you know, I mean, we bought Ben White when he was 23. Now he's 27 already. Every time yeah. I check those guys, they've cranked on... William Saliba's
1: me. 30. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so if we do what we need to do this year, Martinelli will have gone gangbusters. He's our most dangerous direct attacker uh he's linking up well with lacazette rams he's the ramsdale uh long outball uh he gives us so much on that side and opens up that whole side from an attacking standpoint that if you take him out like smith road does a great job from the left etc but uh, more to feed other players in terms of attack. Like everybody's feeding somebody. You need somebody to actually stick a fork in it. And Martinelli's your man. Even even Saka, who's, who's beginning to get a good return, he's still more provider-creator than finisher. You need a finisher. And it's not Lacazette. It's not... So we can see all the reasons why we need this guy to be our player of the season. And I think he may well... Uh, um, A little bit forward-looking here, forward-leaning, like when I picked um, our boy Tierney as our fullback of the decade. I didn't have a lot to go on, but I think the corner has been turned with Martinelli. It's clicked, it's happened, and he's a key piece of why, if we make the strong run-in, we will have done it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. I I think... In much the same way you could call Smithrow our player of last season, in the sense that his arrival in the team started us back from something despicable and and horrifying to something that was encouraging and, and had some light at the end of the tunnel, even though we only played half the season and not even all of that, I think... Martinelli is the same in the sense that he arrived in the team at a time when things were starting to look maybe a little bleak or a little stale again, and it has not looked that way since he's been in it.
4: So We've played great yeah. football with him with Lacazette in the team yep. and, and with Tommyasu Tom on the right. If you have those pieces and everything else functioning, we're probably going to play really good.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's difficult for me because I understand the reason to pick Tomiyasu. And, and he would certainly deserve it. I think he's been great. I sort of feel like we'd be picking Tomiyasu because he's bailed us out from having to play some very bad players. Not that he hasn't been good. He's been very good. But for player of the season level, I, I think I would lean more to Gabriel Magalias because I think he, he has been so rock solid. I, I, you know, I don't know if it was clear that Arteta was totally convinced of him. Back half of last season. Maybe it was just injury or this, that, and the other thing. And we, you know, he wasn't always in the team. But he brought in a young player in Ben White who wasn't necessarily a a stick on back four center back coming in. And he brought in a new young player in Tomiyasu who had to learn a new system. And, you know, he had Tavares for a lot of the start of the season with no tierney available. And the one, you know, and a new keeper who was young and coming in. And the one guy he's got that's there is a pretty young guy himself in Gabriel and asked him to be the rock, the, the, leader of the defense, the guy who could, you know, cover a mistake that White might inevitably make as he's learning the transition, who could, you know, really be a little bit of everything to that back line. And while I think Tomiyasu has been a revelation and, and I'm really growing to appreciate a player who stylistically is very different than what I think of as a fullback and is obviously excellent. I think what Gabriel has done in an all changed back line, especially when, when Tierney wasn't there, obviously um, to keep us pretty darn defensively solid and and to, you know, show a lot of character in doing it, I think he has stepped up in a really powerful and important way. So I will go with Gabriel. Um, I, I want to ask you a really hard one, Clive. And we'll each get a shot at this one too. Mikel Arteta, mm-hmm. three choices. Underperformed expectations so far this season, met expectations so far this season, exceeded expectations so far this season.
2: It's hard, right? Can we sit in six, are we, in a moment? Um, um, it,
1: it's hard to say because it's all you know. I mean, I guess you could do a, a weighted points situation, right? Because the, the table think, is so spread out I, in terms I, of games played.
2: See, I, I look at Arteta slightly differently to some people. I, I'm looking at it from a a leadership perspective, a change perspective, an environmental change. He's he's ripping the club from the bottom, right? So he's ripping it out. So I, I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, man. Thank goodness you're doing this because we so need this to happen, right? And that's just me. And no one looks at football like I do, shock horror. And some (laughs) people look at the results, right? And then we're sitting there sick. So for people that just look at the cold, hard results, I would say my expectations. If you look at the fact that Arsenal Football Club did this change, need to get people out the building that were taking money out of our club for free without having to play with the wrong motivations, the way they arrived was incorrect. And the way they left was incorrect, and we're still paying that price. If looking at it, somebody that actually took that challenge on, <clears throat> and which is difficult and difficult for his own personal reputation, but he still takes it on way anyway for the betterment of the club, I would say he exceeds expectations. But it's a results game, and not everyone looks at that that way. So, um, so for me, I'll for, I'll play the, the the vanilla game and say he's met expectations, but you know in the back of my mind the way that i look at football and change mm-hmm. culture and leadership he's exceeded it
1: let me ask you this do you think that he needs to i don't want to get into this too far but do you think that he needs to deliver european football one way or another by the end of this season like do, do you are there kpis he has to hit the rest of this season to be safe because there's a lot of discussion about him getting a new deal and what's sort of interesting about that is does he deserve a new deal does he not he may well prove that he deserved a new deal at the end of the season is there a scenario where he hasn't hit the KPIs to stay at all I mean what do you think he has to do the balance of the season for you to feel this same way in May
2: I think he has to be top six that's how I started the year Mm -hmm. um but a couple of things have happened that made me think, crikey, he's really going for it and putting everything at risk, but he's making sure that he's getting where he wants to get to as quickly as possible. And that could actually put that top six at risk. And for the betterment of the club, I think, mm, is that worth it or not? I think people will look at this from 30,000 feet and say, Arsenal Football Club cannot be outside of Europe for two seasons. Because when you're outside of Europe, you have an opportunity with the schedule, to get yourself back into Europe. And I've and I often felt that you know my thoughts, I did sort of feel top four could be on because we're not in Europe, but this is a year to make the jump, just like Liverpool did. That was my secret hope, while saying outwardly top six is fine. Mm. But I still feel that. I still feel top four is on and it and it's gonna happen with health and schedule. You know, and um if we get a bit of luck there we could we could have a Good going. So for me, top six to answer your question Elliot, is what yeah. makes him stay. If he if he's seventh, eighth, there's a debate, and I couldn't argue with those people that say we're not making progress.
1: And yeah, I, I mean, argue. we did preseason predictions, and I had sixth. Tim had fifth. Clive, you had fifth. Paul had sixth. Scott had fifth. Points ranged from sixty one. Paul and I sixty four. Scott and Tim sixty six. Clive. Um, interestingly, goals scored. Tim and Clive sixty six. Paul 63, Scott 60, me 57, and goals conceded. Uh, I had 45, Tim had 44, Paul had 45, Scott had 42, and Clive, you had 40. So, like, if we you, you had us on 66 points with a 26-goal difference and fifth, yeah, I mean, that would be great. Now, to be fair, you had Pepe and Oba's joint top scorer, so I don't think we're going to get there. Uh, now, not to laugh at you because every one of the rest of us had Oba's top scorer. Uh, and that
2: is the key thing, Elliot. That is, none of us would have predicted – that that guy would not be in the club in January. And that
1: we wouldn't have anyone to sort of replace his contribution.
2: Exactly. Yeah. This is the key variable.
1: But, but you know, that, that's, that's the decision we've made. And, and, and I think, you know, the one thing we have to accept, the Oba decision may have been the absolute right thing for the club. Managers get judged on their big calls that that's how they get judged not on the tiny little minutia but the big calls and if he gets this call right he deserves all the praise if this call backfires it may cost him and we'll have to see tim what's your appraisal underperformed expectations so far met or exceeded
3: i think met um you know we're in that kind of fourth to six you know battling for four somewhere anywhere between fourth and six which is i think broadly what we all expected i mean you just read out the predictions there and We're about on course for that, aren't we? So, yeah, yeah, definitely met. I think, um, and definitely not exceeded, I think, but definitely not underperformed either. I I think it is a a very broadly met at this moment in time, and obviously what happens in the next couple of months will be pivotal there. I think the only thing I'd add on to that quickly is, I I do think one thing you have to say for Arteta, for better or for worse, depending on your view of some of his decisions, he's made some massive calls in his time as manager. Um, he's not been afraid to make some massive calls. He He's not stupid. He will know that like, you know, bombing out Aubameyang and not getting another striker in. If Arsenal don't finish fourth, he knows that he'll catch a lot of heat um, for that. And he he obviously, again, for better, I'd say for better, actually, doesn't really care about that. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to say that for him, he has not he's been consistently unafraid to make big calls, which will definitely impact the way that people view him. And, you know, he's he's stuck pretty rigidly to what he wants. Whether what he wants is right, we'll see in the fullness of time. But I think the one thing I, I'd say for Arteta is there is absolutely no confusion. There is no confusion about what he wants or what he's after. And the kind of player he wants to do it, I think we're all pretty much crystal clear on that, whether we agree with it or not.
1: Yeah. And I mean, just to put in perspective, we're on pace for about 65 and a ish points, which is right about nailed on as a sixth-place finish. We're on pace for about 60 goals. That's That's where we obviously have to improve, and that's where I think talent is going to have to come up, and players are going to have to get better. I mean, you look at goals, tallies, they're usually in the high 60s, Mid 60s ish for for Champions League places. Chelsea somehow last season got in there with 58 goals. To be fair, and on pace for about 45 goals conceded, which is a perfectly reasonable uh, defensive record. So, all in all, I think it's all there. I mean, it's it's kind of what you expect. It's all there for the taking. Uh, statistically, even as bad as our start to the season was, we're kind of right about from a really good. I mean, if this were if we were launching an invasion on top four. This would be the perfect beachhead from which to do it. Where we are right now, this is where you'd want to be with 17 games to play, no other distractions, no other cups. I mean, you'd rather be in the cups. I get it, but it, this this would be the beachhead to stalk down that top four position. Um, and you know, if we do finish just under that 65 point total and just under those 60 goals, I think it's going to look not great. If we get just above that 67 points, 62 goals or so, it, it's it's really on that kind of knife edge. So, Paul, where do you? Where do you uh, find yourself on the underperformed expectations, met or exceeded?
4: Um, It's pretty close to met, but just above. I think he's, when you take in the totality of what he's dealt with, I think it's just above. First, First and foremost, we have seen the football, right? Finally, the clouds parted, and we saw us playing multiple games at a level that was pleasing to the eye, pleasing to the the pocketbook from a point standpoint, um, and where we were starting to become the envy of other supporters. Uh, the media were beginning to coo and and warm to our performances. We've seen the football, so we can do it now. Um, we lost that a bit in january but there was a lot of other things we lost along the way that contributed to that so i think that's a huge piece of it for me uh, it's not just about perform it's not just about results and where we are and are we doing okay it's can we see the promised land in, in terms of football is there an exciting vision for us for this team for our our go forward i think the other thing is we have to remember he got six new players under the age of 23 at the start of this season. Now, if you, t- if you give that scenario to anybody, you say, oops, that's trouble, especially if these aren't just backup squad rotation options. Five of the six are basically playing for us uh, in a team that already had a couple of uh, ex-teenagers, um, 21 years old, 20 year- years old, Martinelli, uh what's he t- we decided he's 20. Th- like we got three uh basically 20, 21 year olds who were already in the team and we've added six twenty-three year olds and under to yep. the team. Uh like Gabrielle, what's he? Uh he's he's 23, I think, maybe going on 24. I mean, incredibly young team. Um, he's adding six kids to a team with you could say four really young players already in the squad, um, and they're all contributing. Sambi isn't a starter, but he's started a bunch of games and been essential uh, to keep things ticking along. I think when you add what he's had to do, uh, the players he's, he's had to sideline, uh, keeping all those plates spinning, and putting us in the frame. And I think we should also remember that any time you look at a... How have we done over the last 12 months window since we've started doing that? We're always fourth or fifth in terms of the top six, right? On a points per game over the last 12 months. Um, Once we started being able to do that from December 23rd, um, like we're still there. We're still at that level of consistent performance. And that's with all the bad stuff mixed in there. I can't help think that I feel we've pushed beyond... Good enough. Um, It it, Like, things can unclick quickly, but...
1: That's why this run-in is so key, though, right? Because all it would take is a slight dip in that form, and suddenly the points per game run looks pretty bad, or a slight uptick, and it looks... Like, that's the thing, right? Finishing with 66, 67 points, it's going to be a lot of cause for encouragement, and maybe Champions League, finishing with, like, 62 points... You might not even have Europe at all. It is really, really tight. Clive, you wanted to add on that?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, I just tried to bring our brains back to where we were in August when we obviously had the COVID COVID issues and we saw this young team guy at Brentford get slapped about a bit and then obviously Chelsea Man City, get Tobiasu in, more more or less give up the Man City game. And at that moment in time, we're all thinking, we've, we've all predicted fifth, sixth. And we're thinking <laughs> we could be 56 bottom right and then suddenly all the new signings come in and at that point what we saw from you know from Ramsell going forward has massively exceeded our expectations really but we've all said met and it's just a sign how comfortable we become with the norm so those six signings we all worried about in various degrees we've seen them succeed they' so, okay this where we are now, so you've met my expectations. When there's probably none of us felt that way in in August, we didn't see even us being this successful. One other thing, and what we'll add is, with young players, the growth potential is almost unknown, right? So we haven't mentioned Smith and his potential. He's absolutely massive, right? So he's sitting there our top score, and we've just not mentioned him at all, and. I think we, it, it could take us anywhere. It literally could take us anywhere, these guys. They could just go supernova. And I think this is the exciting thing about what we're watching. We're hoping we're going to get there, but it could actually go beyond where we even imagine. You know, and yeah. This is it's so exciting to watch it at the moment. I can't wait to get back into that ground, I tell you.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously you see where it could go great. Saka could be as good as any forward in the league. Martinelli could be as good as any forward in the league. Odegaard could be the best playmaker in the league. Like those things can happen. It's not, I'm not saying they're gonna happen right away, or even that they'll happen at all. But you wouldn't say that's impossible. Those things are possible. Um I would say met expectation, but the funny thing is, for maximum online dissatisfaction, we got there with periods of massively underperforming expectations, in my view, and then pretty well overperforming expectations. And it is my lasting memory of arsenal playing because i didn't care about the cups and that makes me weird and i know that is overperforming the league performances at the end of december and the one against man city and i know only arsenal fans would hold up a loss to manchester city as you know this the apotheosis of our football for the season but i think everyone understands the circumstances there so i find myself at met expectations but with deep concerns and deep excitement at different points in the season and You know, look, I will get absolutely, you know, beaten up for this. I have to admit, I still have questions about the man management. I do. I still have questions if there's another layer to the onion for Arteta there, another level he can go up in his education as a manager in how to work with players and how to manage situations. I said this on a previous podcast. I'd love to have a roundtable of some of the best managers in the game and you throw them hypothetical disciplinary situations and ask how they'd handle them. I think they'd all handle them differently and there's no one right way. Do I think that that's an area for growth for Arteta? I can't help that I do. I know some of you listening will say, what are you talking about? You know, we did the right thing. and it, we, I get it. I, I just see it a little differently. I, I think that there can be a, another an, another nuance to how he handles those situations. <clears throat> and it's we'll see how that's interesting
4: though, isn't it? Yeah. Because from here on in, they truly are all his players. Now you can say Aubameyang was, but... but
1: no, you re-signed him. Yeah.
4: Yeah. But in a... It, that makes him his player in one sense. It was also like a, a very big personality, a very big decision to make. Yeah. But, but they won't all be easy, in. Paul.
1: We we will sign a player who inevitably has personality traits that are challenging. Sure, sure. You, you know
4: but what my, I mean? Yeah. And my point being, it's going to be interesting from here because he will get one of those, but, but it won't be an Yang on 350 K necessarily. Um, and so we will. It, it'll, if there's Wait, a different pattern, I won't be shocked. But we will see.
1: We will see, and I'll say this: Look, if we want to be a title contender, a Champions League contender, and I I think Arsenal Football Club has a right to expect to get back to that level. One day we will have, hopefully, the next Holland or Mbappe or Thierry or Van Persie or whoever it is. And if Arteta's is still here, you know that's that is what we're we're going to learn from. And again, it, it, we are. I'm reaching MET expectations, but I still think you know there are things there where I cock my head and I say, is that right? I mean, Tim, as a final thought, maybe the player that we'll look at to see how he handles it, the balance of the season, is Pepe because Pepe is sort of that last big money, big contract player that isn't his and, oh, by the way, has a knack for scoring goals late in seasons and we could probably use what he brings. So maybe there's a really good litmus test here with how he finds a way to get the most out of that player with the 17 games remaining.
3: Yeah, I th- I think that's the most fascinating thing about the remainder of this season is how cuz I I don't want Pepe in the starting lineup. Um I think he's behind Saka definitely. I want Martinelli in there first. I want Smith Rowe in there before I want Pepe. Um but we need his goals and he takes lots of shots. Um and we need that. So we're probably going to need him from the bench even though the the added difficulty there is I don't think he's ever really nailed that super sub thing. So um, how do we manage how does arteta manage him, and also how does he manage him on the basis that everyone knows that Pepe is not arteta 's player and not a player that arteta really wants, and so you know we it, there's no pulling the culture you 're either all the way in or all the way out stuff, which to be fair i don't i don 't think he really has with pepe he 's just like used him sparingly, which is fine, and I think that 's kind of what pepe 's deserved um but but we do need his goals, so how do we get his goals? Without interrupting, it just so happens that Pepe plays in the two positions where you know we've got we've got potentially supernova talents, and um, uh, no, we can't play Pepe up front because his movement is absolutely abysmal. And it would be the easiest ninety minutes for a centre half ever. Um, so I'm not having Pepe up front. Uh, thank you very much. So h- how do we get the goals out of this player without kind of upsetting what's good about the team? I think that's a really good challenge for Arteta. And, w- and when I say a good challenge, like it's a difficult one as well. I-, I certainly haven't really got any idea how to do how I think he should do that. He'll be devastated to learn.
1: Yeah, well, he'll just have to figure it out on his own, I guess, Tim. (laughs) Um, Look, I think what we are doing is updating our expectations. And that's, that's the one thing, you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, before the season you said top six would be good enough. And like, I think theoretically it still would be. But we are updating expectations based on what we've seen so far and what we expect under the circumstances. And my updated expectations now are, with 17 games left and i still think a pretty talented squad that you know you can pull from if you're if you're a little lucky with injuries go chase a fourth place position if you don't get there let's see how you don't get there if you do get there amazing but th- there's no reason i can look at barring a real injury crisis where we should be looking at this and saying united and spurs pulled away So let's update our expectations see what happens. Let's leave it there. We've got a lot of uh, fun Patreon content coming this week. we got a video data review with Matt Giant Gunner. We're going to take his data reviews off of Discord and and go into the video format with that, which will be fun. We're going to do a game show with Scott that I'm looking forward to based on something he's been doing on Twitter. We're going to do... um, Obviously, additional uh, pods, and then we'll have the instant reaction when we'll, after we play wolves. So a lot to come this week. Thank you for everyone who's who's put up with the sort of pause in the content, but there's been a pause in the football, so it all goes together. In any event, uh, Tim's on Twitter at Thank you, Tim.
3: My pleasure as always. Well, he's on Twitter
1: at My Pants. since possible. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. seen Clive.
2: Thank you very much.
1: My name is Alex. Smith. You can buy me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We have football back, real football, Premier League football, Arsenal football, and I know it is going to be great, and we are going to love it, and we're going to have the best pods ever, and you are going to have a great time with us. That is our expectation. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. We'll do.